You're listening to KDNK's special program, uh, special affairs program for land's sake. I'm Bill Kite, your host, and today our guest is journalist Alan Best from Big Pivots. Uh, welcome, Alan. Hi, Bill. How are you doing, Alan? Oh, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Honored to be interviewed in Carbondale. Yeah, well, absolutely love the town. The, the miracle of, of radio. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Car- Carbondale is a special place. It certainly is. Uh, my first question, Alan, is um, what is Big Pivots and uh, what prompted you to start it? Well, I call Big Pivots an e-journal or an e-magazine. Some people want to call it a newsletter, and that's fine. Others want to call it a blog. and I strongly resist that characterization. Blog is a squishy word. Too many people think of it as, you know, sit down and just hammer out something that's like you would do on a Facebook or whatever. I do that on Facebook, by the way, and I'm not ashamed of what I do there. But when I write for Big Pivots, I research, sometimes very deeply. Uh, One example being uh, a case before the Public Utilities Commission in Colorado. And for that, I read like 150 pages of testimony and listened to two or three days of testimony before the uh, PUC. So Big uh, Pivot is about the energy transition in Colorado and sometimes the water. And the name Big Pivot is big enough to apply to some other things, too, that I think we'll talk about. But you asked me what prompted me to start it. And the short answer is that it seemed to be easier for me to start something than to try and, you know, write endless pitch letters to, to editors here and there. Right. Uh, but to uh, really get, explain myself, I need to take you back to around 2003. Uh, I got an assignment from this, a, a ski industry trade magazine called Ski Area Management. Uh, Rick Hall, the editor, asked me to investigate what there was that could be said about climate change or global warming at that point. And frankly, in a little bit, uh, I'm embarrassed to say I hadn't paid that much attention until then. So I spent a, some time, a month reading up and compiled the story for scary management. And then my eyes were considerably wider than they had been before. At that point, I then secured from the Vale Daily a, uh, a newspaper that then had you know, quite a few pages to fill and had more of a budget to work with than the newspapers do today, uh, uh, commitment to let me write about uh, global warming. And I spent a year researching the science, and uh, I produced a seven-part series that was published in 2004 in the Vale Daily and in Park or Hole and other Town newspapers, including the Aspen Times. Uh, it won a couple of awards that year. And... That led me directly to energy. If you if you worry about climate change, you have to be thinking about how do we revise our energy system. Right. Fossil fuels that created this wealth, this prosperity that we live in now, we can't do it the same way going forward. We have to do things differently. For sure, yeah. And doing things differently is, is what you do because you uh – 
you were really writing for Vail, the Vail, one of the Vail papers uh, a long time ago, and then you helped the Forest Service in their uh, forest uh, management plan. So you've been you've done a lot of stuff, and uh, you know you you. Are, are you saying I've been around the block a couple <laughs> times? <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much, and that's good because uh, I've seen a lot of wisdom come come through in your writings. And for people uh, that are listening, you um, well, all you have to do is get on the internet, go to Google, and put bigpivots.com and you're going to get uh, what we're talking about here so do that after after the show and uh, you'll be surprised at the, the great writing that you'll find there you know as someone who, who what's that alan i appreciate that <laughs> uh you know as as someone who studies fire and and was involved in it uh, when i worked for the forest service and blm i thought the january 3rd issue uh, manipulating from the margins climate change and the marshall fire was spot on and in it, the, the quote came, the climate writing was on the wall. What, what does that mean? Well, actually, I didn't write that. An editor from the Boulder Reporting Lab, with whom I now have a relationship, inserted that as a subheader, and I kept it. It's, but, a, it's a good uh, one. I'm sorry? It's a good, good subheader, for sure. Yeah, but it, it, it would be a mistake to say that climate change is the sole cause of that forest fire or any other forest fire. But the warming climate has been elevating the risk and increasing the size of fires, and we've seen that dramatically in Colorado. Going back to your time with the Forest Service and uh, my time just before I got to Vail in the mid-'80s, there was, I think it was late 70s, early 80s, the biggest wildfire in Colorado history to that point, recorded history was something like five, six thousand acres. <laughs> right. Five, six thousand acres. Well, this fire last week, the, the, the recent Marshall fire was six thousand acres in, in the, the suburbs of Boulder. And of course, we've had fires now of more than 200,000 acres. That was the Cameron Peak fire. Well, uh, and I, I also need to mention that uh, the big fire year of 2020. That was just amazing. Uh, Cameron Peak, we had the Grizzly Peak uh, Creek fire in uh, the, the Glenwood area. You had a, a big, big fire north of Grand Junction. And then in mid-October, the time that when I used to live in Kremlin back in the late 70s, you know, the hunters were arriving, the snow was falling, all those good things. There was a fire that broke out these troublesome. And it moved along rather slowly for, oh, about a week. And then in a few hours, it raced and roared 100,000 acres across the continental divide and threatened Estes Park. Uh, amazing. That's a mega fire. That's what they have had in California. And in the case of the Marshall Fire, what the most interesting thing I've come across there was uh, the work of the state climatologist. Russ Schumacher, and he created uh, three scattergrams from Fort Collins, Denver, and Colorado Springs, and they uh, showed that convergence of temperature and uh, precipitation from June 1st of last year through December 29th, the day before the fire. And what is really notable is that they're, all three locations have more or less the, the same uh, uh, dot. Uh, 2021 was way up in the left-hand corner of that scattergram. In other words, you know, you had wetter and drier 
wetter and cooler years, and they would be in the lower right hand. This was the upper left-hand corner, kind of like Maybell is on, or on a map of Colorado. That's near the entrance of Dinosaur National Park. Right. Remind me, excuse me. And uh, that says just how exceptional last year. The other thing to take away from that scattergram, and this is getting back to your question uh, about climate change, is a lot of the other closest years are also in the 21st century. 21st century, yes. So, uh, yeah, the writing, climate change, writing was on the wall. You've had wind before. Boulder gets windy almost every year, forever and ever. Uh, You've had big fires on the Great Plains, but you never had the conditions that you would have a big fire like this in what most of us consider the middle of winter. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I used to, I remember the fires back in the 80s uh, around where, you know, five, 6,000 acres was considered big, but not anymore. Yeah. If you're listening, you're listening to KDNK's Public Affairs Program for Land's Sake. Today, our guest is journalist Alan Best of Big Pivots. Alan, from your perspective, um, what do you think the biggest issues uh, are going to be facing us in 2022 that you'd like to write about? One of them, it's never going to make a headline. I don't think a big, big headline, you know, the, but it'll be there. It's, it's, it's this task of how do we go about constructing buildings differently so that we don't need to feed them fossil fuels constantly. Now, so the Roaring Fork Valley has some exemplar uh, projects in that regard. Salt Vista is, is, is the most notable one. Although the Aston's King Company now has an affordable housing project in Basalt that I visited last summer, that also requires no natural gas. The Colorado legislature, the last session, adopted four different bills that, in various ways, nudge, push uh, Colorado to start reducing the amount of natural gas that we have. It's not saying no, no more natural gas, but it's starting to say, you know, we need to think about this differently starting to slowly pivot. And I'm kind of curious to see where this flares, where this plays out in the coming year, Um, whether it be in the Roaring Fork Valley and some new projects or perhaps here in suburban Denver. I don't know. That being just one of the issues that I want to write about. What do you, what do you what do you think some of the others are just in case that that you've kind of put in the back of your mind like writers do and and haven't had the opportunity to write about yet? Well, I've written about most of this stuff, but one of the things that I'll be watching too is storage. Okay, Holy Cross Energy has a goal of one hundred percent non-carbon energy by twenty thirty. Uh, Platte River Power Authority, which serves four cities along the Northern Front Range, has the same goal. You know, it, but how do we go to how do we get there? Well, there's a lot of different things that could be said there, but one of them that is probably key is uh, longer-term storage. Uh, we just don't have the answer at this point. I'll be looking in particular what happens in the uh, Yampa Valley from Steamboat Springs to Craig to see what Excel Energy and others come up with there. Excel has talked about molten salt as a way of being able to use renewables then to 
create an energy that then can be tapped later. There's still a lot of talk in a lot of different places about clean hydrogen. General lot thinking is that that's going to take some years to bring it along. Right now it's quite expensive. Right. Uh, there's also some talk about pump storage hydro. The largest single battery in Colorado, if you will, right now is west of Denver near Georgetown at the, at the Cabin Creek um, pump storage project where water is released from the upper reservoir when it's needed to generate electricity. And then when uh, electricity is cheap and abundant, it can be pumped back uphill. Can that sort of thing be done elsewhere in Colorado? Probably very few places, but, well, that could be one of the, one of the answers. Just a question out in left field. Do you think that uh, uh, atomic energy is going to be um, used at all or come back? Uh, it, it, would that surprise you if it did? You know, for yes, power plants. I think so. Yeah, me too. I, I think nuclear has, you know, there's uh, Wyoming's jumping and eager, chomping at the bit to make that happen at a coal town called Kimmer. You can drive through it on your way to, to Jackson Hall. Yes. Um, uh-huh. Side of the very first J.C. Penney store, by the way. And they have coal plants that are closing down there, and there's a mostly next-gen nuclear uh, power plant there. And Bill Gates is involved with that project. Um, but will it actually pan out? I don't know. Um, I have one state legislator who has a, a bachelor's degree in nuclear engineering, part of his step on to, to getting a Ph.D., uh, shakes his head, says the economics don't work now, but they likely won't because there's just so much else out there. Who knows? Right, exactly. That's that's good. Who, do, who does know? You know, last month, I believe it was, you attended um, a water conference in Nevada, and uh, I forgot the name of it, but what's the current word from attending that on water in the West? Well, the, the conference is the Colorado River Water Users Association. They meet every year at the Teachers Palace, and it attracts people from San Diego to, well, actually Mexico. You know, they're part of the Colorado River Basin too, on up to Wyoming. You know, a lot of saw a lot of people from Boulder there, for example, uh, as well as Glenwood Springs. And they, this conference this year was very. You know, <laughs> As, as one of the speakers said, well, there's there's no real time this year to go check out the amusements of Las Vegas. This is real business. <laughs> okay, all right. So you think uh, there's what came what came from that the main theme that that you when you attended what was the main theme there for folks to take home? Boy, that's hard to pin down. But I would think that the the main the most important statements came from the federal officials, from the Department of Interior and the Bureau of Reclamation. And they said, hey, you guys are going to have to come up with some solutions real quick. And the, the underlying statement there was, if you don't, we don't want to step in. We want you to come up with solutions. But if you don't, you know, it's our infrastructure that we're charged with maintaining and there's kind of an interesting story there that it took me a while to figure out. But, uh, Bill, I believe you were in Glenwood in 1983 when uh, the waters of the Colorado River flowed over uh, the highway. 
and uh, it was that big, big snow year. I was in Fraser Winter Park that year, and the snow didn't stop falling until roughly June 10th. And uh, uh, that's not being metaphorical. That was pretty much literal. It was amazing that year. And, of course, you probably know the story about how uh, Glen Canyon was almost taken out by the big, big flood. Right. uh, Now, in in a uh, perverse sense, what I learned at this conference was that uh, there's a danger to to, uh, uh, Glen Canyon Dam not having enough water go down is a, a, a process I can't describe very well. But the Bureau of Reclamation has a very strong interest in maintaining enough water in, in Glen Canyon, in uh, excuse me, Lake Powell. So how do we solve this problem? Uh, I don't know that anybody has a singular answer, but there's an awful lot of work to be done. And it involves, frankly, reducing demand. That's the only thing you can do. We could cloud seed from now till till uh, June, but I don't think it's going to change that much. And we can hope, we can pray for uh, a lot of uh, snow. But you know, uh, the, the trend line is pretty clear. If it isn't this year, or if it's not next year, the trend line is pretty clear. We have to adapt to what the climate scientist Brad Udall called aridification. It's not just a drought, that's part of it, but aridification of the Colorado River Basin is a, a long-term trend that must be realized in how we use water and in our policies. Yeah, and you know, when the water makes it to California, uh, that's where we get most of our winter vegetables. And uh, I wonder who the first people will be that will start losing uh, losing the water rights, or, you know, that won't have water in the next few years. That's That's the question I ask. You know, I, I've been, I've gone down to uh, the, the, the Imperial Valley of California, the area around Yuma, Arizona, to frankly just uh, stand by the side of where they're chopping off uh, broccoli heads to uh, bring up the city market. Um, and it's fascinating to me, you know, at various levels. Um, I, I think that we'll continue to get our vegetables where I think the, the, the I think where this may hit is that there won't be as much alfalfa grown for um, uh, cattle production. It, there's been some cattle, some alfalfa grown that's been shipped to China. It seems perverse. Wow. Um, but that's a very complex topic. I don't know that I want to wade into that one too far. Okay. <laughs> I would better leave that one alone, huh? As a poet, I, I have to mention that back in December, uh, you pinned a, a, an honor to Colorado Supreme Court Justice and poet Greg Hobbs um, because he had passed away and, and you said you would miss his voice. Uh, what legacy do you feel like uh, Justice Hobbs uh, in, in left us on Colorado water? Well, the interesting thing about Justice Hobbs is that he he was trained as a lawyer. I mean, he was an attorney for Northern Colorado Water Conservancy District uh, and then it uh, became an, uh, a, street, a state uh, justice. He understood water law very, very well. He defended, he almost fiercely, he almost fiercely defended the work of our antecedents here in creating this hydraulic empire, if you will. But there was a soulful part to uh, Greg Hobbs that came through, especially in his uh, poetry. He, he wrote a lot of poetry. 
and uh, I don't know. Would you think we might want to listen to one of his poems? Yeah, I think so. I, I read some of his poems, and they're really good. Yeah, that'd be great if you if you could read one for us. Okay. Um, here's one. The Hydrologic Cycle. Feed to the river. Feed me. River to the aquifer. Fill me. Aquifer to the earth. Hold me. Earth to the clouds. Clouds to the wind, stir me. Wind to the sea, rinse me. Earth to the aquifer, aquifer to the river. River to the sea, sea to the wind. Wind to the clouds, clouds to the earth. Feed me, stir me, rinse me, feed me, fill me, hold me. Wow, that's uh, water. How precious it is, especially here in, in Colorado and the West in general. And I yes, that comes from a book called Colorado Mother of Rivers, which was one of his poems. Yeah, it's... And uh, I would have read that, except for there was no mention of the Roaring Fork of the Crystal River. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a poet. Yeah, and I just wanted to bring that up because a lot of people don't think of a Supreme Court justice being a poet, too, and... But uh, he he was, and, and if you can, anybody uh, listening can get a hold of a copy of his uh, poetry. It's sure worth it, for sure. One yeah. question I want to ask you in the, the three, four minutes, four minutes we have here uh, left is, uh, how do you think people listening today can get involved in the issues that you write about? You know, I think there's two levels. It's an old saying, think local, think global, or at least national. And I think that applies here. You have an opportunity to drive this uh, with your personal decisions about what sort of housing you want to build to become an example. example. Um, you know, I think that the frontier right now is how do we do uh, uh, build better houses that don't require fossil fuel use the way we have in the past. And of course, we're on the cusp of having a revolution how we drive electric cars that are coming. I'm also reminded of what uh, the Aspen Steam Company's Auden Schindler has made uh, kind of a career of a saying, which is that, you know, we could do all these things, but and we need to, but we ultimately have to think about system-wide changes. That requires thinking at the national level. Now, um, listeners of KDNK will... You know, you, you can say you're just a small amount, but you still have to push. We have to get national policy. Colorado, the reason I started Big Pivots was to, because uh, I thought Colorado was a great place, a laboratory for changes. And I think this is just a great assembling of people, of innovative, daring, all those things. It's a wonderful time to be reporting about what all is going on. Ultimately, we need to export that to make it national. And how can that be done? I'm not quite sure. I, my eyes go to, well, what could a Mitt Romney uh, uh, approve of? Right. Uh, what could a Susan Collins? What could the, the U.S. Senate uh, uh, approve of? What, ultimately, I think we're talking about something that resembles a carbon tax. Right, and I think that's uh, something we ought to talk to our senators and congressmen about and, and tell them how we feel.
Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Alan, for being with us today. Uh, Don't forget, as soon as you can, look up bigpivots.com for more of Alan Best. Thank you for listening to KDNK. Our next For Land's Sake show is the second Tuesday in February, February the 8th at 4.30. Until then, whatever you do to Mother Nature, do it for land's sake.